0: We may or may not have a video for you this morning. Good morning. Oh, thank you, Dean. What a beautiful Mother's Day already. Thank you to my mom for uh, sharing with us and praying with us. Um, You know, Pastor Jim and uh, Meg McBride, I think Meg's sitting over here somewhere, there she is. They asked me to come and share my testimony to celebrate recovery the other day. Who, who's been to celebrate recovery here? How many people? We got a few. I, I tell you what, it was my first time. Wow. Such an authentic and amazing community of people in there. If you haven't been, I would encourage you to go. They meet on Tuesday nights, like seven to eight thirty-ish or seven to nine-ish. Um, but I got in there and shared some of my testimony and uh, Mother's Day is a very significant day for me because I came home, I'm kind of like the prodigal son, and I was away for seven years. And I came home on Mother's Day 2008 through much prayer. Many of you all prayed for me and with my family, and uh, I could not be more grateful and um, just loving my own mom and my dad. So... (laughs) In being back at Celebrate Recovery, um, I've gotten to know Meg McBride a little bit, and I asked her to come up and actually start us off with a testimony. So you all may not know Meg, but she works very closely with Pastor Jim, and uh, yeah, come on up here. And she helps lead Celebrate Recovery, and uh, she is out in the community. She is the real deal. She is ministering to homeless people on the street. She is loving people. From what I know about her, I think she'd give you the shirt right off her back. And uh, I asked her if she would share some of her story with us. So here you go. Come on up here. Thank you. (laughs) Give her a hand. That's right.
1: Y'all need to know I am here to pitch CR, but that's not the only reason I'm here. (laughs) So when Michael asked me to share, normally I'm not at a loss for spontaneous words. But a few nights ago, the Lord woke me up at 1.46 a.m., and this is what I wrote for today. And so, Michael had told me that he'd be sharing on Hebrews 12.12, right? I always forget scripture verses. Rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So, rejoice in hope. When I came into AA almost 14 years ago, I was so broken that I couldn't believe there was any hope for a better life. But I had a sponsor who said to me, I'm going to believe for you until you can believe. All I could do was believe in her belief. I have always remembered what she did for me. I am a member of our Celebrate Recovery group here at Myrtle Grove Press. And we are tasked with holding a space of hope for those who are suffering from hurts, hang-ups, and habits. Celebrate Recovery is for any struggle, not just drugs or alcohol. And we have many people who come to CR that are having problems with their family members, experiencing deep grief, or trying to live with paralyzing anxiety, to name a few. We are all broken in some way. And as I know from experience, when you are deep in it, it is hard to see anything good for your life. I believe it is the duty of those of us who have walked out hardships, heartache, and pain to create a safe space for healing and restoration for others. At Celebrate Recovery, we welcome you to come as you are. We accept you and meet you just where you are at. You can be completely imperfect there. That's what my first AA sponsor did for me. She rejoiced in hope for me when I could not. But the key is she did not leave me in a state of hopelessness. She challenged me to seek, to learn, and to grow. And I have learned to grow in patience among tribulations. One of the things I have grown in over the years is patience. It took me a long time to become more openly accepting of trials and tribulations. And honestly, I still don't like them. But honestly, when I reflect on my life, it wasn't the good stuff that helped me to grow, but always the bad stuff. It has been things that have brought me to my knees. In hindsight, the hardest things made my belief in God stronger and my relationship with Jesus sweeter. I'll give you one example. Two years ago, I really struggled. My husband had what I would call a nervous breakdown. I'm not sure if that's the correct term anymore. But he basically isolated our home for five months. I don't struggle with anxiety, so I had a very difficult time understanding his pain. And I even had a harder time accepting how he was behaving because of that. At one point in the five months, I thought that I'd had enough, and in my mind, I started to plan to leave our marriage. I found support of this decision in the world. People said to me, you deserve more from your marriage. And you deserve a man that can give you what you need. And I listened to that for a while. But at the same time, I was studying the Apostle Paul in school. And I was so opposed to Paul's message of suffering through hardships. But from studying Paul's words against the backdrop of my own suffering, God changed my heart. I discovered that what I was believing was a lie. I was able to... Not By my own strength, I wasn't able to change my mind. But by God's power, I saw truth and I learned the true meaning of sacrificial love. And the truth is, sacrificial love is not about getting what you want. It's about giving in levels and degrees you feel you can't possibly give. And yet you discover in yourself the God-given power to persevere in patience. God empowered me to love in a way that asked for nothing in return of my husband. It just poured out, and honestly, it blew my mind. I understand today that that kind of love lives in me only because of Jesus. Today, I can say that I am okay with everything that has ever happened to me in my past. I am okay with the past, I'm fine today with the present, and I'm okay with whatever's going to come. With perseverance in seeking God comes patience, and God gives you the power to endure life's trials, which brings me to my last point. To be constant in prayer. I've learned that in life we have victories and setbacks. I used to believe that once I got it all figured out, life would be great. It would be wonderful. But we all know that life isn't that way. Life is the constant ebb and flow of good things and bad things. And I'm learning to live in a constant state of prayer for the simple reason that I just don't know. I don't know what my friend John needs or how Sally's pain will be healed. It's all up to God. My prayer begins with thanking God and this simple daily prayer that says, Lord, how can I best serve thee? Thy will, not mine, be done. I learned this prayer 14 years ago when Alcoholics Anonymous, and it is my best chance of being God's effective agent in the world. It puts myself aside, gets me out of the way, and lets God do his work. Michael mentioned in my job I work with the homeless, And all you can do with them is meet one need at a time because their problems are so complex and overwhelming. In my mind, I think about this picture of the hoarder's house. When you open the door, you see this huge and unbelievable mess. And all you can do is start to clean up the pile that sits at your feet. I believe our question as a community of the body of Christ must be, my friend, how can I help you right now? This question takes my motive out of the picture and places me in the posture of the servant. If the will of God is to be done on earth as it is in heaven, then I must be what Christ has called me and asked me to be, the hands and feet of Jesus to feed his sheep. This year, being a part of Celebrate Recovery showed me that I must do this in community. I can only live with intimate relationships with others to be truly whole. I have to risk letting people into my heart and letting them see the real me. Our lives are not to be suffered alone, nor are we to walk alone in victory, hoarding that all for ourselves. The real sustaining element of my life in Jesus this year, I learned, is found in community. The good stuff and the bad stuff shared among the fellowship of people that I live with. Please pray for me that I continue to be faithful and obedient, in my walk with Christ, and that I continue to grow in commitment to relationships so that I may be an effective agent of Christ's redemptive work in the world. And I'll pray the same for you. Amen.
0: Amen. Amen. Let's take a minute and pray for Meg and for Jim and for Celebrate Recovery. Lord Jesus, we celebrate that there is such a vibrant and wonderful ministry as a part of this church. And Lord, we pray that you would bless Celebrate Recovery. Lord, we're all recovering. That's the truth. And any of us who would say otherwise may be living in some measure of self-deception. Holy Spirit, we need you in our lives. We need you, Lord Jesus. It's all about your love. It's all about your grace. And we authorize you to move here in our hearts and in this place. In the great name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. You know, the human condition is kind of a funny thing, isn't it? We cover it up with deodorant, we dress it up with fine clothes, we clean it up in the shower, we make it proper with good manners, cotillion classes, even Southern tradition, don't we? We elevate it with status symbols like cars, houses, boats, Kate Spade purses, Apple watches, Mine's not the real Apple Watch. But in the end, the human condition is a lot like Christ Jesus being born in a manger. It's a little stinky, isn't it? Take your Bibles and turn to John 13. That's where we're headed today. We're going to take a look at Christ Jesus washing the disciples' feet, and I'm really going to The central point of my message is very similar to what Meg shared. It's doing life together. It's walking together amidst the brokenness. In John 13, what happens is the master becomes the servant. Jesus really gives us the blueprint here for how to do community. If you read the Gospels, Jesus gives us a lot of blueprints. He gives us a blueprint for how to pray, how to reach the world, how to reach beyond ourselves how to love our neighbors, and then it's our job as believers on how we apply the blueprints and the teachings he's given us. You know, I think it's somewhat fitting on this Mother's Day that we talk about John 13 because probably no one knows better than moms who constantly deal with the stinky feet of little ones, changing diapers, dirty, smelly clothes, raising kids. It's not all glamorous, is it? But it's good. It's good. It's good. You know, I was thinking back um, to when I was five years old, and I have this very, very vivid memory of when I was five, and I was sitting in our house, in, uh, it was on Turtle Hall, and I remember the color of the carpet and the color of the couch, and I'm, I'm five years old, I'm hanging out, and there's a gentleman at our house by the name of Wes Horn. Some of you guys probably know Wes. And mom and dad were seated uh, on on the couch, and he was in a chair, I think, and they were all sort of talking, and I was in the room just kind of watching, you know, being a silent observer kind of. And with that, uh, my precious two-year-old sister, Anna, came in the room. And, you know, if you guys didn't know Anna, this is my sister over here, wave at us, Anna. Um, If you didn't know Anna, she was the most adorable little baby. She was so cute as a two-year-old, and she came walking in, and she plopped down on the carpet right in front of the coffee table, and they're in the middle of this adult conversation, and we're all just kind of sitting there. Well with that, Anna takes her shoes off, and then she takes her socks off. And then she starts systematically cleaning the uh, dirt and fuzz from between her toes. And then, this was the best part, she looked up at Wes and she said, do you get dirt between your toes? (laughs) Somebody said it, somebody said it, we all do, come on Kyle. (laughs) You know, Wes looked back at her and he said, you know, I think I do. You know, kids just don't have any guile, do they? They're just going to tell it like it is. They're just going to share it like it is. They're going to put it out there. There's no cleaning it up. There's no dressing it up. There's no hiding it. I have dirt between my toes. Do you? (laughs) About three or four years ago, um, Abby and I were over at Anna and David's. That's uh, Anna's husband. I'm telling a couple stories on us. And uh, we'd gotten the kids in bed, and we were going to play some kind of game. I can't even remember what the game was. But I was wearing a pair of, um, I don't know what they were, like Sonics or something. Sanics, what are those little slip-on shoes? Sanooks, thank you, James. Um, So I was wearing something like that, and I'd been wearing them without socks all summer, and they were getting a little gnarly. And, you know, Anna keeps a very clean house, so I was supposed to take my shoes off when I came in the house. And so I'd taken my shoes off, and we'd gotten the kids in bed, and we sat down to play this family game. And they started, all three of them, Abby, Anna, and David, started going, (laughs) what is that smell? And, you know, I started, like, tucking one foot under my, you know, and then I tried to sit on both feet. And before long, Abby looks over and goes, babe, is that your feet? I was so embarrassed. I was so embarrassed that I would have stinky feet. I actually had to go to the bathroom and sit on the edge of Anna's bathtub and wash my feet so that they could get through the game with me. That's life, isn't it? That's life in community. But I was so embarrassed. About a month ago, I was telling Abby, or this, the other couple days ago, I was telling Abby what I was preaching on, and she said, "Why don't you tell this story?" I went, "Really?" She said, "Yeah." And I said, "Okay." This is her idea. About uh, a couple weeks ago, we were getting ready for Abby's sister's wedding down in um, Birmingham, Alabama, and Abby needed a new pair of shoes to go with her. I don't know, rehearsal dinner dress maybe, and I like actually like shopping with Abby. I like shoes. I like shoes on Abby, and so we were out shoe shopping. At, uh, I think we were at Dillard's or Belk's, or I don't know. We went to a number of different places. But she was rocking a pair of Toms. And Toms were the same kind of deal, right? No socks. They start getting a little stinky. And Abby was so embarrassed as she was trying on shoes. And she kept looking at me like, no, you know, stand back. <laughs> you know, I don't know what it is, but us as humans, we tend to cover sort of our underbelly. We want to hide that part of us, don't we? It's just more comfortable to keep not only those things physically, but emotionally and mentally in the dark. You know, a funny thing about life is my mouth is an inch away from my nose, and I'm the last one to know my breath stinks. Why is that? Can someone tell me why that is? You know what I'm saying? Like, why as people? It's what Meg was sharing. We have to live in community. We must live in community. We need each other. You know, life is about risking sharing your heart. We're going to see it in just a minute as Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Life is about choosing to be vulnerable. Real relationship with God is going to engage those parts of ourselves that aren't comfortable. It's about knowing and being known, loving and being loved, serving and being served. So I want to turn our attention to John 13. I want to start reading in verse 1 and I want to set the table with a couple of things. Here's Jesus and he's coming to town, to Jerusalem at Passover You know, Passover is significant for a couple of reasons in this passage, and I want to set the table with all this as we jump in, because we're going to look at a real blueprint for how I think God's called us to live in community. But Passover, if you're interested, looking back on, you know, maybe on your own time, but started in Exodus 12, and God tells Moses and Aaron to go out from Egypt... And this is the beginning of the Jewish calendar. It corresponded to Pharaoh releasing the people from Egypt. God knew it was going to happen once the angel of death went around and killed all of the firstborn in Egypt. Really serious, serious time. I think it's very significant because at Passover the people were called to slaughter a lamb who was without defect. Much like Jesus was slaughtered on the cross. The people took the blood of the lamb, and those of you who are familiar with the story, you know this, but they took the blood and they put it on the, around their doors. And in many ways, it's symbolic of us covering our hearts, asking Christ Jesus into our hearts, covering our own lives with his blood so that the angel of death and judgment will pass us by, so that we are in Christ the story, the Passover story, is a beautiful foretelling of the coming of our Savior Jesus and a literal picture of how those of us who are in Christ are saved. It's also significant that it's Passover time because it's the beginning of the Jew- Jewish calendar and as Jesus comes into our hearts, he makes all things new, doesn't he? That's what Meg sure. He makes all things new. See, God called the Israelites to celebrate the Passover each year. And in this story in John 13, it picks up 1,400 years later, after the initial Passover. And the Israelites are still gathering in Jerusalem to celebrate the feast. I think the other thing that should be noted as we jump into chapter 13 is Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. It's the last miracle that the Gospel of John records before he washes his disciples' feet, before he goes to the cross to die. It's symbolic of the coming resurrection of Christ Jesus. Lazarus is stinking. Sometimes when I tell my own story, my own testimony, I may have even said it at CR the other night, but I was gone seven years. I was so dead. I was beyond human hope. They'd written me letters. They'd come after me. My sister and brother had come after me. Friends had come after me. Everyone had tried to reach me. I was unreachable by a human agent. And God reached in and snatched me. He started giving me visions in the night that terrified me and called me to repentance. Brought me out of a dark place. Praise Jesus. Man, he makes all things new. But as we look at this chapter, it seems that Jesus is giving us not only a format for life, but for traveling through adversity. For persevering together, for serving one another, but also with walking with one another and for washing each other with the water of the word. In this passage, we begin to see the, what is at times, painful vulnerability of community. I want to remind you as we jump in here of John five nineteen, which is where Jesus says he only does what he sees the Father doing. Indicating that our Father, God the Father, washes our feet. Think about that as we jump in here. The master becomes the servant. Let's read, starting in verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he's talking about his disciples there, he loved them to the end. Verse 2, the evening meal was in progress, so this is Passover. They're right in the middle of it. And the devil had already prompted Judas. Just think with me a second here. The devil had already prompted Judas to betray Jesus. We all tend to judge Judas, don't we? But how many of us betray Jesus? When I take up anger or hatred in my heart towards a brother, I'm betraying Jesus. When I choose bitterness or I choose gossip or I choose, when we as people choose the things that aren't of him, central to his love, central to his grace, central to his message, we're very much like that, aren't we? It's in God's forgiveness. It's in His great grace that He makes us new. The devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under His power and that He had come from God and was returning to God. Jesus knew what He was about, He had crystal clarity. So He got up from the meal. I love this right here. He got up from the meal and He took off His outer clothing. Community, there it is. Vulnerability. Jesus takes off his outer clothing. And he wraps a towel around his waist. And after that, he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet. I wonder if he unbuckled their sandals and took them off. Maybe they'd left them at the door. Jesus washes the disciples' feet, the stinky feet. They may have taken a bath before they came to the dinner, but just walking on the dusty roads that were full of animal dung and who knows what else, their feet were no doubt gnarly, right? Like mine when I was trying to play Monopoly. He came to Simon Peter and he said to him, Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Oh, I think I skipped something. (laughs) Let's go back to verse 5. After that, he poured water into the basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? And Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. And here's Peter in his pride. No, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus rebukes him. Wild, this rebuke that Jesus gives to Simon Peter unless I wash you you will have no part with me then Lord Simon Peter said not just my feet but my hands and my head bathe me all Peter's just all in isn't he all or nothing Jesus answered those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet their whole body is clean and you are clean though not every one of you for he knew who was going to betray him And that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes. Again, putting that outer garment back on. The vulnerable place that the master took. The vulnerable place that God took. I think is a picture of community. Not just literally washing each other's feet. That's what we're getting at here. But beginning to enter into sharing deeply of our lives with one another. Not hiding our stuff. Do you understand what I have done for you, he asked. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I've set an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly I tell you, servants are not greater than their masters, nor are messengers greater than the one who sent them. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Let's pray a second. Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of everyone in the room, Lord? Would you open the eyes of our hearts and would you allow us to see and understand only you know our hearts, only you give revelation into our hearts? Would you allow us to see deeply, to understand greatly, and then to risk washing each other's feet and having our own feet washed? Lord, help us see ourselves in this story. Give us revelation. Are we the ones who resist having our feet washed, or are we the ones who resist washing the feet of others? In your name we pray, amen. You know, John Calvin, many of you know him in our Reformed Presbyterian Church, but he began his work, Institutes of Christian Religion, with a quote that says, Without the knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Without the knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. Now, we're in a multi-generational church, and one day, God willing, we'll be in a multi-racial and multi-ethnic and multi-all kinds of stuff church. But today, we're mostly in a multi-generational church, Right? I want to be so bold as to say, I've had a number of older folks that have sat in my office and said, does the younger generation read the Bible? Come on. I want to be bold to say that the younger generation does often emphasize that knowledge of self. That vulnerability. I want to be real. I want to share the truth. I want to be honest. I want it to be gritty. I want it to be the real deal. And at times they can even forsake the word of God. Right, younger generation? We can elevate the knowledge of self and the sharing, vulnerably, of ourselves over that. But I also want to be bold to say that the generational difference is that the older generation can emphasize a knowledge of scripture, a knowledge of knowledge without necessarily making application to deep revelation and sharing out of one's heart. It's got to be both. John Calvin said, it's true wisdom, is knowledge of God, knowledge of the word of God, and knowledge of self. What's happening here at Myrtle Grove that I absolutely love is where this big mishmash of generations, ultimately I hope will be a mishmash of cultures and races, But today, we're a mishmash of generations, and I think God is calling us to take the best and learn from both. Could it be? Could it be? You know, the other thing why I'm talking about generations that I wanted to illustrate is, and I want to honor the older generation here a second, but the older generation sees coming to church as a time where you consecrate your heart, you consecrate your mind, And as a reflection of that consecration, you put on clothes that would reflect an appropriate internal consecration. That's the tie. That's the jacket. Right? It's good. It's fitting. It's biblical. Nothing wrong with that. The younger generation, we're going to emphasize the heart. We're going to emphasize Jesus taking off those outer garments. We're going to be real. We're going to stand up here and say things like, my feet stink. And that's right. It's fitting. But see, they're both true. And we can't throw out the ties or the dresses, nor can we throw out the come as you are. That's this intergenerational mishmash that the Holy Spirit is working in our midst. But we've got to embrace both. We've got to embrace the strengths of both and then give freedom. Amen? Okay. Okay. So I want to help us connect, I want us as individuals and as a church to really look at the story, and I want you to connect yourself to the story. So I want you to think about this as Jesus is washing his disciples' feet, and I want you to begin to look at your own heart and go, am I a person who is willing to wash the feet of my neighbor? Am I a person who is willing to wash the feet of those around me, and then flip it and go, am I willing to have my feet washed? For some of us, it's a lot easier to wash other people's feet than have our own feet washed. I don't know that night when we were playing that game if Anna or David would have said, can, we, can I wash your feet? I, I, don't, I don't think I could have handled it. I mean, I don't, I don't, David wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but I want you to take it, and I want you to flip it a little bit, and I want you to look at this through the eyes of a, a, a personal interaction. See, washing another's feet would look like sitting with them as they come to you and begin to share vulnerably about something that's going on in their own life. I'm struggling with anger. I'm struggling with something in my marriage. I'm dealing with pornography. That's washing another person's feet as they share with you. You being willing to share vulnerably from your own life is you letting someone else wash your feet. And see, what Meg was saying is in healthy community, it's both, it's that give and take I would do not like to have my feet washed. It feels vulnerable. People get to see my underbelly. I'd rather be religious and pharisaical. You believe that? It's true. One of the reasons I choose to stand up here and share vulnerably is because it is not my natural propensity. God woke me up a month ago, in the middle of the night. And he said, Michael, I heard it so clearly. Every once in a while I hear God so clearly. I hear nudges, maybe daily, weekly, senses in my heart but I heard him so clearly and he said Michael you've become religious gotten stuck in the pew the fear of man is on you and I got up and went into my living room and repented on my face and then I got up from there and God called me to drive around this city and pray for our city Pray for Wilmington. I went downtown. I went to Wrightsville Beach. I went up towards Carolina Beach. went down College Road. And cried out that God would use us to change the course of history in Wilmington. That God would use us to move in his people and bring people who are far from God to his presence. See, Peter refused to have his feet washed... And then he dove in and he sort of called Jesus to the higher standard of washing his entire self. You know, often I fight God and I want it on my timetable. Shows Peter's pride. My master will not wash my feet. Well, then fine, if you have to wash me, wash all of me, right? You know, I love uh, flip-flops. Just love flip-flops. I surf a little bit. I haven't surfed in a while now. I'm sorry to tell you but I love flip-flops and I I really like to wear flip-flops and I've gotten this funkiness on this toe. Can I just be that honest with you? And I'm embarrassed about this funkiness on this toe and I don't like to wear my flip-flops anymore and I'm really upset about it. We hide that stuff, don't we? We hide that inner stuff that is so painful. We hide our vulnerabilities. It's not easy to submit yourself to another person in community. It's not even easy to submit yourself to another person in marriage. It's not even easy to submit yourself to another person in relationship, is it? It's hard. But somehow, somehow, the genuine Interaction. the presence of Jesus comes when we begin to share authentically, genuinely, share our stuff and then let other people share their stuff and invite the Holy Spirit into both of us, into the situation to bring healing and life. Sometimes I think washing another's feet is more religious than having my own feet washed. So maybe you're here today and you don't want your feet washed. You'd rather be the washer. God might be calling you Coming out of here this week to go to another person and share openly, share vulnerably, share authentically. Maybe you're here today and you don't want to wash somebody else's feet. You're going, that's gross, it's nasty, it's smelly, I am not interested. And I think it was 2011, we took a group, two groups of 20 or 25 people up to um, New York City. We worked with David Naomi Tepper up at Battelle. And one of the things the women did, I absolutely loved it, because the women's, um, all all the women that went with us, the high schoolers and the adult women, um, they set up a foot washing thing for um, homeless women and people in Queens, New York. And there was this massive line out the door, and our girls weren't super stoked about it, i got to say. They were like, we don't know these people, we don't know who they are, we're going to wash their feet and like paint their toes. It was like, is that a pedicure? Pedicure little foam things between the toes the whole bit you know it was like it was really wild and our girls were not stoked about this but what began to happen that's right Emily was there doing it weren't you is what happened as these people started coming in off the streets is they were so ministered to I remember hearing one story where a girl was getting her feet washed and she got on the phone and called two of her friends and said hey come on down they're doing free petties so come on down and get your, get your feet washed. And, and watching the countenance shift in these women made all of the girls that we had brought up there on this mission trip, it engaged them. Suddenly they wanted to be a part because they saw the change that was happening. There's something about getting us out and having us engaged when you begin to wash someone else's feet. Literally, emotionally, spiritually, you following me? Guys, we are called to this as a church. You know, healthy people engage both in having their feet washed and in washing. It was so good for me to go to Celebrate Recovery and share my testimony because I'm eight years away from it and I, I, I almost start forgetting. And it's so good to take me back to the guy who was on the street who had Nothing. It was so good for me to stand there and share my own story with them and the craziness that I participated in because it reminded me of the great grace of Christ Jesus. It reminded me of my own journey. It reminded me of where I came from. I think one of the things those of us who have been believers longer struggle with is it becomes harder and harder to remember way back when. And then we look at the younger generation and we're like, why are you dressed like that? Or why? I just don't understand. I'm already doing it. I get it. I'm not judging. But God calls us to engage in that deep level of community. And I'm telling you, you will not experience all that the Holy Spirit of Jesus intends for you to experience in this life unless you can choose both to wash feet and to let your feet be washed. You may be here today and your focus in life is making sure that you are so clean and put together and everything's perfect that nobody ever has to wash your feet. You are missing out because it's in the authenticity, it's in the genuineness, it's in the opening of your heart and sharing deeply of your own failures that real community happens. And somewhere in the middle of that, the power of a risen Christ Jesus becomes available to each of us. We take on the power and likeness of Christ. It is an incredible process, but you've got to engage it. You hide it. You're going to get religious. You're going to get stuck. Got to engage knowledge of self, knowledge of the word. Got to engage washing other people's feet and allowing us to wash theirs. 1 John uh, 1, 8 and 9 says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That does represent the one-time work of Christ when we come to him and he forgives us of all sin. Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. But if we're authentic, there is also the daily sin that we choose and or fall into. Right? James 5.16 says, confess your sins one to another that you may be healed. It's important that we live and walk like this. See a measure of health that a measure of our own health is. Are you both washing the feet of others and having your own feet washed? So my question to you today is: Are you washing the feet of those around you? My other question is: Are you willing to have your feet washed, emotionally, spiritually, physically? Ephesians five twenty-seven says. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with the water through the word. We get together in our small group and one of the things we do is share deeply. Ask hard questions. But the goal is that we're washing each other with the water of the word. That we're taking on the character and likeness of Christ. That as we share deeply, we're moving from that place of brokenness that we're sharing to a place of health and wholeness. Some of you in your small groups may need to do something different, shake it up a little bit, and go in there and share something vulnerable. Abby and I were part of a couples small group, and more than one time we'd walk in, and some couple would say, I know we're doing this study, or I know we're reading this thing, but we can't do that right now. We are in a big fight. I threw a pillow. It was awesome, because Abby and I would leave and go, wow, we're not quite as bad as we thought. But that's, that's the real deal. We've all thrown a pillow. We've all said something stupid. We've all been short. We've all been impatient. We've all been frustrated. See, we're called to each wash one another with the water of the word. In real community, we're called to know and be known, love and be loved, serve and to be served. In fact, Hebrews 10.24 warns us not to give up meeting together, not to give up engaging in real community. Maybe you're here today and you're one who resists having your feet washed. I'm like that. Maybe you resist humbling yourself and washing the feet of those around you. Maybe you're even deceiving yourself and thinking you don't need your feet washed. You don't need this ongoing participation in real community. Jesus called us, we just read it, but at the end of John 13, verse 14 and 15, he says, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should go and wash one another's feet. I think he meant more than just physically here. This passage is a call to serve, but it's also a call to roll up our sleeves and stop being religious and embrace the process of helping cleanse people of the grime and yuck in our lives. It's secondly a call to embrace God's call to allow others to help cleanse us of the mess and yuck in our own lives. Let me ask you a question. Do you have someone to call when you're in a mess? Do you have someone that when things are tough at home, you call? When you're having a parenting issue, you call? When you're struggling with something personally? Do you have someone that you know well enough that you can engage in that deep, meaningful relationship and persevere together through the storms of life? God has called us both to wash and be washed. God has called us to know and be known by him and those in the body of Christ. You cannot go through life alone and expect to bear fruit. That's what makes just shared. The grace and the favor of God are activated when we engage in the depth of real community, both studying the word and knowing God and sharing our heart and being vulnerable. It is in that washing and being washed that the presence and power of Jesus comes. And when a group of people truly engage at that deep level, a city and a community will take notice. You can't encounter that type of authenticity and genuineness and not. I want to put up a slide. This is kind of a call to action for us as believers. I think I saw Jack Bohr earlier. I don't know where he is, but he'd call it Your homework. Jack likes homework. This is is kind of an assignment if you choose to take it. This is just a catalyst. If you're like me and you're not a person who easily shares vulnerably out of your own heart, these are some questions we've even used, not all of them, but some of them in our small group. I want you to take some notes. I'm gonna gonna read through them. I would also say that Abby and I in our marriage, let me be vulnerable here, Abby and I in our marriage make some of these questions a, a regular thing. Look at the second one. I am insecure about. That's something I share with Abby. Abby, I'm feeling insecure about. Whatever it is, share it. Be honest. In our relationship or in life, I avoid. What do you avoid? These are conversation starters. These are things for you to think about. But they are not just things for you to go home and journal about. They are things for you to go home and begin to engage other people in sharing deeply. Wash each other with the water of the word. How about this, the third one up there, I feel valued when, that's a good one. doesn't just have to be negative, shift it and make this positive. Know and be known, that's what a good marriage is about, that's what good friendship is about, right? How about the fourth one up there, the Holy Spirit is touching and healing this place in my heart and just share it. That's regular conversation at our house. Abby, I didn't mean to react this way. I I don't know what's going on. Would you forgive me? I think the Holy Spirit is working on this area in my heart. That's regular conversation at our house. Because we are not perfect. Right? The last one I put up there is maybe you're carrying a secret. I always love what Jim says. He says our secrets make us sick. They do. The secrets that you carry make you sick. Maybe there's a secret that you need to share with someone this week and pray for healing. So here's what I'd like us to do as we close. I'd like you to stand. And I'm going to pray for us. God's got big things in store for each of us as individuals and as a community. I'd like us to close our eyes a second and let's just pray. And I'm mindful of something, though, as we enter this prayer time. And I want to ask, is there someone in here, eyes are closed, heads are bowed, is there someone in here who has never asked Christ Jesus into your heart? You can just lift up your hand. If the Holy Spirit's touching your heart, and if today is a day that you want to declare, if you want to have Christ Jesus wash those feet once and for all, would you lift up your hand? Is there anyone? wait just a second is there anyone that the holy spirit is knocking on the door of your heart there's not on this day anyone in the room but lord jesus by faith i declare that the days are coming when people will turn to jesus in this very room And God, now I turn our attention towards the believers in the room. And Lord Jesus, as we put up some conversation starters, as we put up some homework, as we put up some application for how do we really dig in and wash each other's feet in community, how do we really wash each other with the water of the word? Father, I pray that you would birth genuine community, even more genuine community out of this house. Lord, I pray that there'd be some marriages in this house that would have been living more like roommates, and I pray that this week they would come together and share deeply and you'd bring healing into some marriages. Lord, I pray for some brother-sister relationships and some brother relationships and some sister-sister relationships where there's division, that you would bring them together to share authentically and genuinely, maybe even painfully, and you'd bring healing. Lord, I pray for generational healing also in this house. An older generation that sees and lives from an accurate and very biblical perspective and a younger generation who sees and lives from an also accurate and biblical perspective. Lord, would you bring healing into this house? Lord, would you bring healing into our hearts? And Father, would you allow us as a community of believers embrace deep authentic community Holy Spirit we authorize you to move in our hearts we authorize you to move in our house Lord as we worship here as we close with a final song would you touch us Holy
1: Spirit